the lovely Robin W is here today and I just thank you for taking the time, my dear. And yeah, please take as long as you need. Sorry, I had something better. <laughs> is that it? Okay. Uh, hi, um, I'm Robin W. I live in Los Angeles, California. Um, I didn't, I, you know, uh, Mark said I could talk about whatever I wanted to, so I'm not going to talk about whatever. Um, I'm going to talk about my recovery because that's why we're here. Um, I identify as a codependent, perhaps a love addict. Um, I uh, seek validation and I have heavy co codependent uh, compliance patterns. Compliance, I would say, is my biggest problem. Um, I was told that all addictions stem from an attachment injury. That was what my therapist told me, who actually, who at this point I really like. She um, helped me do EMDR over past trauma. Um, I'll go into a little bit about how I ended up here. And, you know, I'm, I'm in this room and there's a lot of people who have other dependencies and recoveries. And um, I just want to say thanks and say that I always learn so much from other people in other recoveries. Um, really, sincerely, you know, when I first came into Tosnua, I was like, I dropped into an AA meeting. It's like, well, I don't really identify as an alcoholic. I hardly drink, um, but okay, I'll sit around. And I heard so much great information and um, the shares, uh, you know, resonated with me, like people's struggles, trials, tribulations, like what you do with your feelings. And, you know, I always think about that being the daughter of an alcoholic. Um, I always think about what do I medicate with because I don't want to end up there and I could, and there's always time, you know, I always say, you know, well, I'm not in any other, in, other than the recoveries I mentioned, I'm not in other recoveries yet. I still have time to fuck it up for myself. Um, so I was raised in Cleveland, uh, Rust Belt in a 50 suburb, daughter of an alcoholic and a nurse who is severely codependent and an enabler and a caretaker. Um, you know, if it wasn't for my mother, I wouldn't be who I am today. Well, and my dad, for sure. Um, so... Um, when I and when I was really small, things were okay. I, you know, I was too little to know what was going on, if there was an undercurrent there or not. Um, my parents sent me to Catholic school. In second grade, I was molested by a priest. Um, he's dead now, but he has had a pattern of doing this. And I found out just recently, Ohio has one of the toughest statutes of limitation, so I can't sue the church, which I'm waiting for them to lift it because I'm going to sue them. Um, they knew about him. There was compliance on their part, which was always really odd for me as a kid. I never told anybody um, until the Me Too movement. And then I was like, oh, that's what happened. And then I could identify it. But, you know, I felt sold out by my teachers because they knew and they were there. Um, so and and he was placed there because he was a bad priest and did it other places. So, you know, he's taking advantage of second graders. Um, unbelievable um things were you know okay at home I knew my dad drank and you know he was kind of a happy drunk for a long time and then <clears throat> as I got older when when I hit um 
I guess like 12, 13 and started having my own voice. I didn't want to go to Catholic school anymore. And I told my mother that and she let me out. I went to public school. Uh, and then I told my, they wanted me to, my father did, my mom was a Protestant and she actually left the church a long time ago. But um, I told my dad and mother that I didn't want to go to religious classes on the weekend because I didn't believe in it. They raised a scientist, you know? And I said, this is ridiculous. And the pure, the puritanical part of it was in contrast to what had happened to me. And so, um, you know, my father was abusive. Um, he was verbally abusive. He was never physically abusive, but he, he was a monster. And he, um, I always saw him as an alcoholic. And um, until <laughs> until just almost two years ago, never realized that he was a narcissist and that his problem wasn't alcohol, alcoholism. It was narcissism. <clears throat> um, the alcohol just allowed his narcissistic rage to be unleashed on whoever, whoever wasn't providing him attention. But even if they even if they did give him attention, there was no right answer. It always ended up in in some kind of, you know screaming and shaming and whatnot um when I was uh gosh I think I was in fifth grade my mother went back to work she's a nurse was a nurse and she went back to work and my father did not like that he she had given up her driver's license um she had quit working post-World War II and had kids and then decided to go back to work and my dad was so not happy about that he left she left me with him and my job in fifth grade was to cook dinner for him and have it on the table his alcoholism had sped up he would so my dad was a liquor distributor and a bookie and so he would come home early he could make his own hours basically and he, he was also a salesman which is perfect for a narcissist everyone thought my dad was such a great guy and then he was this just giant ass at home um she left me at home with him and he would order me around. And and if that didn't work to get me upset, he would pick topics that he knew could get me upset. He was a, a, a complete racist. And um, I'd have to listen to his racist tirades or he'd start getting on. It was the 70s, women's lib, which is uh, just uh, it was like I tried not to participate as much as pos possible, which is where my compliance patterns come in. Um, and, um, I left as soon as basically I left as soon as I could. My brother and sister are eight and 10 years older than me. So I was at home alone with him. My mother abandoned me, my sister and brother abandoned me, but, but they were just doing their own thing. They were young adults. And, and at that time you just left home when you became of age, you just, you know, took off. Uh, and my father abandoned me, even though he was present because, because of his alcoholism and narcissism. Um, Okay. That's my little history. Um, I moved out at 17 and went to college uh, because I graduated from high school a year early because I needed to get the hell out of there. And um, I had to come back because I changed schools and eventually moved to New York City uh, and went to design school. And um, the year that I was back was particularly brutal. But I had developed a pretty thick skin. I just ignored him. I just did whatever I wanted to do. I just didn't even listen to him. I'd make dinner and leave. And so 
My happy place is leaving and people who've known me a little bit know that I've been in Europe a lot lately. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I took off for I've been in Europe. I was in Europe two months this year on and off um, and I would go again and I live in a beautiful place and I live alone and it's very peaceful here. But but still getting on a plane is my happy place or in my car. Um, I had a job where I traveled four months a year and made me a perfect road warrior because I never cared if I was away or not. It didn't bother me. Being away was safe for me. Um, so what brought me into recovery? And I'd been in alcoholic counseling for my dad um, since I was 16 because, you know, he kept blaming my sister and I. My brother was the golden child. And and I have to say, I have really good relationships with my brother and sister, which I'm so thankful for that we don't argue. We don't have any issues at all. Um, you know, and my sister and I understood that he was the the prince and that's what we called him, princey. It was hilarious. We just took the piss out of him every chance we could. Um, I, you know, left for college and things were okay. I had a good relationship. Uh, it didn't last very long because we were both really young um, and um, five years or so, which, which is okay. Um, and then uh, I started, and I, this happened before I left Cleveland, a pattern of being involved with narcissists. And I didn't know that until just two years ago. All the therapy I've had, all my therapists, no one ever said, hey, do you ever think your dad was a narcissist? No. Um, I would say I've been in therapy since my late twenties study, and I have to say it helped me some, but it really didn't do anything like what being in these rooms did for me. Um, and I'm not saying that because I'm the speaker. It truly helped me, uh, recover and transcend this childhood trauma and quit living as a victim. I told you my my history just so that you know you have a basis and understand who I am. But um in the last let's say 6 months or so, I've left that behind and I'm looking at how I behave today. And you know, people talk about oh your inner child which always seems to me kind of like bullshit you know it's like oh take little robin by the hand i'm like really but if i can if i can think child mind when i'm being reactive to something it really helps me separate those emotions and the emotions for me um i'm pretty emotional it may not seem like it but i am um are things that I blunt with internet, travel, shopping, people, more people, more people, um, you know, TV, uh, food sometimes, you know, nothing, exercise sometimes. I, you know, I have a pretty healthy coping mechanism, but I know when I'm trying not to feel. Um, and coming to these rooms have, have helped me sit with that uncomfortable feeling and take it apart and be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm having pro I'm feeling protest behavior because I'm feeling something that's from child mind, from you know, my underdeveloped and unattended to needs. Um I'm not I was living in a victim place 
about that, you know, poor me. And what actually really brought me back to looking at codependency in, in my late 20s, I was going to ACA meetings. I had a narcissistic boyfriend who I didn't even, I just thought he was an asshole, which he was. Um, but I broke up with him and um, then he broke my door down and he raped me. Um, he was beating my head on the floor and choking me. Um, my neighbors heard it, a New York City story. All my neighbors heard it. No one called the cops. And I was screaming for hours and he wouldn't leave. So that sent me back to therapy and ACA. ACA was too rough for me at the time. I, I couldn't sit in the rooms and listen to people's trauma. I couldn't do it. Um, I left and continued to work on my codependency. I read Melody Beatty's book, Codependent No More. And that was like skin being peeling, peeled off of me. I was like, oh, so much self-judgment, you know, I, and nobody could be harder on myself than me. Thanks. I can take myself apart pretty well. Um, but it really helped me. Um, it, I, I found it unsympathetic. And I really think that in any recovery, sympathy and nurturing is key to feeling good and to understanding patterns of behavior. Um, you know, I went along my merry way. Uh, I was married 20 years, got divorced. He was an alcoholic and I finally hit the first step which was like, uh, and I didn't, I wasn't in program and I didn't think of it like that. I was just like, I heard myself say something my mother said, I'm too old to get divorced. I was in my mid fifties. And when I, when I heard myself say that, I was like, oh, that's something Jane would say. And, um, and I started the wheels in motion and I knew that I would be happier if I, I was powerless against his alcoholism. I couldn't do anything about it. I let go. I told him he could do whatever he wanted. The only the only thing I asked was that he don't drive drunk and that he text me when he's staying somewhere. He didn't even have to tell me where I didn't. I actually didn't care. It didn't even bother me. So I stay wherever. I don't care. Um, I asked him to make a change. And I said I had to change, too, because I I understood my codependent and my enabling and uh, my control patterns. And. Um, well, I knew he, either he would change. We would change together, or he, which was totally frightening, or he would leave, and he left, and that's fine. Um, and I knew either way I would be happier. So here I am. Um, I had, you know, a couple relationships on and off. One was with an overt narcissist, uh, incredibly charming, handsome, tall, successful, and um, I mean, it wasn't bad. I was distant enough that it wasn't horrible, but there was nothing in it for me. Um, and then I had a relationship with someone for three and a half years who lived in the Netherlands. I saw him every other month. And um, we were allegedly monogamous. Uh, one of us was. <laughs> and um, I call it death by a thousand paper cuts. All the small slights, which felt all very familiar to my father. I, but in hindsight, in hindsight, when I was in it, I had no idea. I, you know, left-handed compliments, not returning my calls, not being available, you know, all that stuff. Very, 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 very small all the time, constantly through our whole relationship. That finally ended uh, the pandemic among, you know, other realizations ended it. Um, I went no contact with him. 100% one day, no notice. He's blocked everywhere. Um, 
I have a replace, he replaced me with somebody and I found out on Instagram by accident, which was, that was pretty brutal. And then he did some other things that were pretty awful. So that brought me back to these rooms because I was looking up and my therapist at the time was, was convincing me that I should be patient with him and give him time and he'll change how he feels about me. Oh my God, boy, did I let her have it when I figured this out? I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Why are you telling me this guy's a narcissist? Anybody, my friends saw it. So I ended up back in the rooms because I was suicidal and, um, and I did a lot of research without my therapist. I quit therapy, um, on narcissistic abuse and codependence and and found out that codependency permits that permits me to be a victim. And, um, so here I am, I started going and I'm an atheist. So I started going to, um, atheist humanist agnostic meetings because they fit me better and they weren't like anything with dogma for me is kind of a hard sell. Um, but I came into Tesnua and a few other, I went to a few traditional meetings and um, I'm more tolerant of the traditional meetings when people talk about their higher power and God and whatever works for anybody is fine. I, I just still just find the dogma of anything difficult for me. Um, what it taught me and what I've gained, I felt like, a year and a half ago or almost two years ago, I was completely stripped down and being rebuilt. Again, I have a whole new understanding of who I am, how trauma works, what happened to me, how I took a victim stance and allowed people in my life that should not have been there. Um, it changed how I think. It changed how I valued myself. That and meditation um, I meditate almost daily, um, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on how much time I have sometimes twice a day. If I'm, if I'm really busy, I don't, but I really need to regardless, um, <clears throat> gives me space and my reactivity space. There's, there's a distance between what I feel and what I do now and how I medicate. So I think about, I want this and you know, um, I'm a product of our culture. You deserve a treat. You deserve a break. You deserve this. You deserve that. What I deserve is to feel something and not blunt it. Um, and that's an uncomfortable space uh, to be in. It takes a lot of willpower for me not to do something. Um, it doesn't take that much power anymore not to act out. Now I don't act out. Now I don't have a lot of protest behavior. Um, I used to. I was like a wild animal. If you touch that, oof, yeah, you got it full force right back in your face. And now I don't. Now I just, you know, sit and think for a little bit and then take care. Take yourself. Soothe is really what I never learned how to do. And that's key to me keeping a level head and me keeping a level head and not not feeling my feelings, but being able to sit with uncomfortable feelings that make me want to do other stuff, you know, to distract myself. Um, The other thing is, as a codependent, um, someone said codependency is the masterclass of all recoveries, which I kind of feel maybe true. I don't know. I'm not really sure, but it touches uh other I know it touches other recoveries because I've been in the rooms and listened to people um 
compliance patterns, um, fawning, flight, fight, uh, flight, fight, fawn, freeze, reactions, sabotaging things, controlling things through sabotage, self-sabotage, all that stuff. So I, I can actually say, and, you know, I'll always be a work in progress, and I am so far from perfect, um, that I have much healthier boundaries than I used to. And I also allow, I'm allowing myself to feel, you know, and have a compassion for myself for as trite as it sounds for that child within, you know, I'm able to say, oh, it's okay, you know, and self-soothe myself. And I'm so thankful to be here. And Mark, thank you for having me. And I will pass it back to you.